0: Hello and welcome to our Catholic News podcast. And today we follow the theme of the last few podcasts, which is to look to Iraq and an historic papal visit—the first of a pope to Iraq—and Pope Francis's first visit actually outside of Italy for 15 months because of the COVID pandemic. No surprise to anyone there. Delighted to say, I'm joined by Cardinal Vincent Nichols, Archbishop of Westminster, of course, and our president, the president of the Catholic Bishops Conference of England and Wales. Cardinal Vincent, how are you?
1: I'm very well, thank you. Very well indeed. And I hope you are too.
0: Very much so. Thank you. It seems obvious to me that the Pope holds Iraq quite dear. Let's be honest, he's not been anywhere for 15 months. He's an 84-year-old man. This is a demanding timetable, really, from south to north, taking in many, many realities in that wonderful country. But not for the faint-hearted. So this is a proper sign of commitment, isn't it?
1: Oh, uh, without a doubt. And uh, quite apart from the physical demands... There will be also the emotional demands that will fall upon him and which, you know, come onto his shoulders and into his heart on every visit he makes. But here with all that historical resonance that the other speakers have been talking about and, and the rootedness of the Christian faith in this land and the trauma that they've been through, especially in the north. These things will make really deep emotional demands and spiritual demands on Pope Francis. And that's why it's important that we follow this and we support him with our prayers and with our our, our spiritual endeavour for him in these crucial days. Yeah.
0: Let's talk about your visits to Iraq. And I'm thinking... Of course, because it was a, a difficult time for the country. Touching on those those points you make about the north, there in twenty fifteen, April twenty fifteen, when you visited, I know the plan was to visit, you know, more extensively. But obviously, you you, you visited a in the north, and this was really right in the thick of the ISIS dice offensive, you know, the persecution of, of minorities like Yazidis, not just the Christians, ordinary Iraqis, many people suffered un, under Daesh. But a lot of Christians fled, you know, 120, 140,000. Now, you met some of those Christians, met some displaced people. It was a two-day visit, but a packed one. What are your memories from that incredibly difficult time?
1: Well, I can remember individuals that we met, and I'd happily talk about some of those key moments. I think my my first impression um, was, well, arriving the aeroplane. I think we went via Switzerland, if I remember. It was basically full of military and semi-military people who were going to probably try and keep secure some of the American investments in northern Iraq. Uh, when we got to the airport, husband to a car. When we arrived, at the place where we were staying, I you know opened the car door and got out, and the chap came round. And he said to me, "You don't open this door, I'll open this door and you'll get out when I tell you not before." And then slowly I realized this was an armor placed vehicle I was in and there was genuine security. But I think the first impression was just talking to artificial water, you know that he literally woke up one morning and there were over a hundred thousand refugees knocking on his door. And what did he do? He opened churches, he opened every bit of property, that they had and said come and sleep here and you know these few months later that was probably june and we were then the following april and he had established refugee hostels and camps in all sorts of places i i remember the, the frame you know of a, a building that was not yet developed it was just the floors and the pillars as you were like a, an open skeleton and they'd started putting um porta cabins into this concrete framework so that people had somewhere to live. And we met many, many people who were living in porter cabins with actually with a bit of pride. I remember sitting in some of these porter cabins, it was immaculate, they were spotless. And the women and the children, the men, the particularly the women, were house proud of what they had. One woman I remember speaking to just outside her home, her porter cabin, she had a number on the door and a big picture of the Virgin Mary by the side. And she said to me, you know, I had two hours to leave my home in Mosul and we just had to leave, just had to walk away. But she said, those two hours, my Muslim neighbor spent weeping because we were going to be separated and we'd been there all our lives together. And she said, but, you know, the more I think about it, I think I'd rather be here than her living in Mosul under ISIS. And you got this sense of what the, basically, the, the Christian community of that area of a bill called Ankawa had managed to do, was to fashion a kind of welcome for all these people, so many of them. I remember another lady, tiny little lady, elderly probably, I don't know, it's hard to tell. She looked as if she was in her 80s, all dressed in black, with crooked fingers, probably with rheumatism or whatever. And she told us about being stopped by the ISIS guards as they walked away, as they approached the border with uh, Kurdistan. And she said they took every bit of jewellery that they had. And then she said, I began to tell him off. I began to tell this isis fighter that he was a disgrace and he shouldn't be b- behaving like this and this was no way to treat anybody never mind an elderly lady and she said he backed off and he let us through so you know there was raw courage and incredible tenacity that they managed to survive this mass exodus then we also went to the unhcr refugee camp because the first ones we went to were all under the aegis of the church and that was very obvious when you get to the UNHCR then you get some of the bigger international the the you know the french Sans frontière and uh, the horizon d'Orient, and some of these in the the huge UNHCR refugee camps but they were much more regimented and they didn't have the kind of culture and the feel about the the Christian refugee camps that we visited and that we saw the men it was tragic because really in in this situation that I'm describing there was little or no role for them and you know the women looked after the house they were house proud in in this very very reduced way but the men were just furious they were just you know, boiling with frustration. Some of them trudging into town to try and find work, others just sitting around. And, you know, your heart went out to them that they lost any role that they had and they just had to wait. Now, the initiatives of the church were astonishing. You know, they were building a school. We were shown this school that had been put up. And interestingly, the school had a library in it. And Archbishop water was so proud of the school with the library. I said, why? He said, well, schools in Iraq don't have libraries. They just Mm -hmm. have a national syllabus and the the resources for the syllabus are provided and that's it. He said, but I want a proper education. I want an education where children can read books because they choose to. That and there were were a dispensary where there was um, medicine being given out, lots and lots of things. And at that point, he was even talking about founding a university in Erbil, which he has done and which that's on now i dare say the situation is different many of the refugees will either have gone abroad he was desperate for them not to leave for america or germany or whatever because it was the dispersing of his fundamental christian community some of them will have gone back to the north to take their chances in the catholic villages like karakosh and places like that but i'm sure still Many will still be there. And uh, I just wish them well. I do. And also, of course, Archbishop Ward is a bit of a Liverpool supporter too. So um, that's an unbreakable affinity that we have.
0: Do you know, I wish I'd been armed with that knowledge because when I spoke to him, I mentioned your name, of course, and how this is a matter close to your heart. And of course, he then segued into something else close to your heart, Liverpool Football Club. And I think it was unfortunately just after the crucial Man City game. I almost thought he was in pain. I didn't realise he perhaps shared that oh, I think supporting so.
1: affiliation. I think so. <laughs> anyway, that's the impression he gives me. He's very—he's a canny operator.
0: <laughs> no, no, absolutely. He was very proud to talk about that university yeah. that you mentioned, and also I was quite moved by what he said about the um, Muslim doctors and nurses in the hospital, in that they didn't really have anywhere to pray, and he was sort of, well, prayer is such an important thing, you know. I, I'll build you some space to pray. You don't have to pray in the corridors. You can have a proper, solemn, uh, prayerful, literally, place to pray. And I thought, well, really, if we are going to get to the point where we are all brothers or we can all live a, as one in peaceful coexistence, particularly after the the persecution and the pain where you could literally have a, a very big chip on your shoulder, we have to make these concessions. And to see that in action from from someone whose community has suffered or has seen those that have really, really suffered... I think that's very positive, don't you?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And I think you you find, I'm sure it will be still the case. Some remarkable, remarkable people working there. I am particularly struck by my memories of some of the Dominican sisters who are there. One or two of them having doctorates from Oxford. Uh, really, uh, you know, high, high caliber women dedicated to, to these people and to their cause. So the Pope is is obviously he's going to Baghdad, he's going to go south to Najaf, and then he's going north to this area. And, you know, I think one of the most important things that Pope Francis has included in his agenda is the visit to Najaf, where he's going to see the Ayatollah Sistani. Now, that is crucially, crucially important because here you have... I don't know, a kind of the spiritual leader of not just Islam in Iraq, but in a whole swathe of the Middle East. And here is a man who is revered and his responses are formative for so many things. And the fact that the Pope will meet him and he will welcome the Holy Father and what they say together and the signals that that gives will be hugely important for the Christian, particularly the Catholic people in Iraq, affirmation from Ayatollah Sistani for the Christian and Catholic community embedded in that large Muslim majority, that affirmation will be priceless. And, and to me, that's one of the most important moments I believe in this visit.
0: And I guess as well, there's that important point about breaking certain stereotypes as well, because we think of the biblical lands. We think of Iraq as a, as a biblical land. Sometimes I think we forget because we look at Arab countries and small numbers of Christians and perhaps put to one side the the importance to our own salvific biblical story, don't we? Because, you know, the Christians are small in number, but s- it's so important we support them, isn't it? And, and not forget about their plight, even if they are dwindling in numbers.
1: Well, it is, and it's important for all sorts of reasons. I think it's obviously important for the historical links that their presence give us to that uh, the time of Jesus to the apostolic era. I mean, and that's very, very important. But it's also important for the fruitfulness of their presence now, because I think in most of these situations, it is recognised the presence of a christian community changes the dynamic and that they are often 11 in a social mix that without them would be more volatile i think we know that much of the inherent violence across the middle east is actually rooted in divisions within the muslim communities and that's the radical seven eight hundred years of of conflict that bubbles up every now and then. So in a way when Christians fall victims to this as they did in the expulsion from Mosul it's almost like it's a side effect of what is essentially a deep conflict within Islam and conversely when the Christians are present then it is as I say it's, it's this it's an influence that softens that underlying dynamic of opposition. And they become an important part of the fabric, the cohesiveness of a society. And that's a reason why we must hope and support them in staying in their homelands. That's where the recognition, and then I go back to the Pope's visit to Ayatollah Sistani. That's where the, the recognition that Iraq in its roots is the home of Christians, and they are a constitutive part of modern Iraq. That's very, very important.
0: Absolutely. And it makes me think a little bit about the reconciliation side of things, because obviously in the north there was a great deal of destruction. I think of our photographer, who you know very well, taking some really moving images up in Mosul of the destruction, very painful images actually. And it strikes me that to move on though, you know, nobody wants to see a church with the roof caved in or an icon smashed or a cross taken down or broken or literally um you know like like the body of christ in that sense but if we are to move on we have to sort of deal with these images i suppose process them like the many iraqis have had to with their property and their homes and and their worship structures and move on don't we so although you could get locked in in the pain of those those images and that destruction and the and the death and the killing if we are to be one we have to move on don't we
1: We do. And I think you could say that even in our very moderate and tolerant society, some of those pains can still be around and can still be felt. So, even more in a society where the injuries are recent as well as ancient and where the destruction is, in modern terms, catastrophic. But there's also something that In some ways, the people I met were not as attached to their sense of property as a person in this country would be. You know, a house is quickly built. A house is a function. It's not an extension of an ego, like we might often think of it. So I think in some ways, these people have probably... better capacity than we do to recover from some of these things and like you were saying
0: about the refugees with the little number on their door temporary property but making it
1: their own and you think of the recent ordination of the Archbishop in the half repaired Cathedral in Karakosh I mean I don't think that took anything away from the sense of joy that okay the building's not right but we'll get on with it lots of the buildings we were in aren't right and life is more than its buildings more so, I think, for them than for us.
0: Quite a strong resurrection narrative, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. Now, I want to ask you this. Can a senior church leader enjoy a papal visit?
1: Yes. I mean, I enjoyed uh, Pope Benedict's visit here immensely, actually. I think once it's rolling, it's just got to go with it. And uh, these things, at least the visit I've seen here, did have you know, just a momentum to it. And there are so many things that you see which are incredibly cheering. Like on the drive in from the airport to the meeting with the Queen in the centre of Edinburgh, people were on the roadside just to see this convoy cars go past. Now, I'll always remember, there was one little line of women who, were in the hairdressers. And so they'd come out, still in their chairs, still with those kind of green things around them, with their hair in rollers, you know, in the middle of a complex hairdressing business. With their hairdressers, they'd push these chairs out onto the roadside to see the Pope go past. But you can't not enjoy that. You can't not sense that here something is happening, which is a great gift and is a great joy to people. And why not just enjoy it? Why not just enjoy it? I'm sure both Cardinal Sacco and Archbishop Warder will thoroughly enjoy it, knowing them a bit, that they have uh, enough, what you say, depth to them not to let little hiccups, if there are hiccups, go along. And they'll all be taken care of anyway. So I hope that these are days of great joy for them as well as for the people who will take part and who will follow it on television.
0: Yeah. And just finally, Cardinal Vincent, What would you say that we can do over here in England and Wales? I kind of asked that to Archbishop Nizar Siman and obviously Archbishop Warder and Patriarch Sarko. Different answers, really, from prayer, from supporting the projects through either Iraqi Christians in need, Aid to the Church in need, the charities and so forth. But what would you say is a sort of tangible thing that those at home watching can take on at the start of March?
1: Well, to follow it, first of all, to grow in an awareness of the region, to grow in an awareness of what our brothers and sisters there have to deal with, have to live with. And I think when we do that, then we will find almost spontaneously a deeper compassion for our brothers and sisters there. I mean, just now, for example, I've been very taken by the homily preached by Cardinal Bow in Minamar on the first Sunday of of Lent. Now you know just to read that homily, and to put it into the context of a military takeover, and you know the trauma that that country is going through, then you begin to understand a little bit of the greatness of Cardinal Vos's spirit, but also of the tension that people are living with. So the first thing we should do is is learn a bit and try and understand the world into which the Holy Father is going, and let it touch us. And if it touches us, then we will learn a whole lot of compassion will flow. It's easy for me to say that because I've been there and it touched me very deeply because it suddenly become part of it. Now, I think a papal visit in that sense opens a door or opens a window into the heart of the country, into its drama. And we really should give ourselves time to follow this visit and to enter into it. With heart and mind, and then the concern, the prayer, the compassion, the charity will follow.
0: Cardinal Vincent, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you.